pleasure to be with you. Uh, you know, I was going to introduce you, but I think it'd be better to have you introduce yourself because you, you have so many titles and you're doing so many different things. So let us know a little bit about your, yourself and we'll sure. go from there. Sure. Um, well, for our talk today, primarily, I think it's important to know that I'm an ecologist. I work for the Colorado Natural Heritage Program. And uh, the Natural Heritage Program really is a program out of Colorado State University. And we go across Colorado documenting rare plants and animals and rare communities and evaluating their condition for the purpose of conservation. Uh, I'm also the vice chair for our local Roaring Fork Audubon Society. And similarly, our goal is to protect and conserve the wonderful birds that we have in the Roaring Fork Valley. And I'm also wildlife chair for the Colorado chapter of the Sierra Club. That's a lot of a lot of jobs. <laughs> <laughs> I figured you could do it a lot better than me, so thanks for that. You know, uh, before we get started, it is the membership drive for KDNK. If you're not a member, all you have to do is uh, dial 963-0139 or you go to kdnk.org and click on membership drive. So if you like listening to these programs, Please uh, join if you haven't already, and if you join, uh, be sure to rejoin. So I want to make sure that that's part of your day-to-day to understand that. You know, there is a, a big fight over the Homestake Reservoir, and that's what we want to talk about today. Um, could you tell us a little bit about why uh, this proposal by Homestake Partners, a number of entities, is really threatening our wetlands? Well, to back up just a minute, the... Homestake partners, basically the cities of Aurora and Colorado Springs, want to put a dam, another dam, on Homestake Creek and divert those flows over to the front range, those front range cities to support development over there. In so many ways, dams are bad, and particularly with a warming climate and with the reduced flows in the Colorado River. This idea is extremely bad. It's a bad idea ecologically. Um, for the valley itself, it is a spectacular wetland valley. It, it, the, the, the valley, if you haven't been there, is Homestake Creek. Uh, Homestake Creek has its confluence with the Eagle River as it flows uh, kind of by Camp Hale, which is a new national monument. The right. valley itself is a wonderful mosaic of different types of wetlands. And in our warming climate, those wetlands are critical for storing water uh, to support later discharge in the rivers, like the Eagle River, which has its confluence with the Colorado River, and so on and so forth. So in a very straightforward way, maintaining and keeping that water in the Homestake Valley to supply flows eventually to the Colorado River is critical in and of itself. Right, and what I always worry about is uh, when these proposals come along, uh, we're told, well, you know, uh, we we really won't be doing this for a while, and uh, so uh, don't worry about it kind of is the, seems to be the message, and we know better than that. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's five years down the road, 10 or 30 or 50, it's it's something that, that doesn't need to happen in that particular area. I, I'm familiar with that area, and it's it's a beautiful place. And again, wetlands are extremely important, and that's what we want to talk about today. So thanks for giving us that introduction. Right now, drilling has happened to find out if the sediments are really supportive of any kind of 
reservoir, right? That's correct. They did test drilling uh, to look at the geology to see if the geology was stable enough to support building a dam and impounding all of that water. And, and studies have to be done. The Forest Service can't deny them an ability to do that, can they? I mean, it has to be something that's that has, they have to apply for and they have to get a decision on. Uh, well, that's true. Um, but there's also some interesting wetlands there that preclude that sort of study. Because I guess the question really is, if you're not going to... Uh, build the dam, and you're not going to drown those wetlands, then why do the study? Right. Uh, And we know, and the forest policy supports the idea, that wetlands are a critical resource. One, you know, maybe one and a half to two percent of our landscape in the arid west. And maintaining those wetlands, we've lost quite a bit of them with development over right. the past decades. So those that remain become even more important. And there are a lot of wildlife, I think it's 80% I've read of wildlife that depend upon uh, wetlands during some form of their their life cycle. So, and, and also, you know, three quarters of Colorado River's volume comes from these small headwater streams like, like Homestake. So that's even more critical. That's right. And if we, everybody knows, I'm fairly certain how dire the condition is in the Colorado River. And, of course, all of these streams on the West Slope eventually flow into the Colorado. So when we start diverting the headwater streams, we are, in essence, diminishing the flow in the Colorado River. Exactly, and and we really don't need another dam to take water over to the Front Range, do we? And if they had better conservation practices, that would help quite a bit, would it not? Well, you know, and I think people, the short answer is yes. Um, The longer answer is that people often have this habit of creating a false dichotomy. It's either a dam or people don't get water. And what you just mentioned, Bill, about water conservation is critical. Because we know in other places that we can conserve. So in my view, in an ecological view, this is completely unnecessary. And from your point of view as a scientist who who knows ecology better than anybody I know, and I want to tell you that because I really do appreciate all the things you've done, the the talks you've given to Wilderness Workshop, um, it's wetlands have particularly interesting um, things in them that I don't know what to call because, except for fins, and fins are irreplaceable. So tell us a little bit about why that's so important in this particular area and what fins do and a little bit about that, if you would. Well, fins are a particular type of wetland. So we have numerous, as I mentioned, there's numerous types of wetlands in the Homestake Valley. There are wet meadows, and there are beaver pond wetlands, there's riparian wetlands, and there's this other type of wetland called a fen. And fens are very ancient wetlands. Fens are defined by their accumulation of peat. So peat is just partially decomposed organic matter. In other words, twigs and leaves uh, and plant matter. And of course, um, fins, because they accumulate peat, 
they store carbon. So basically, leaves and twigs are primarily carbon. Right. And that carbon in fins has been stored for thousands of years. So they are peat-accumulating wetlands that store tremendous amounts of carbon. And, of course, what's making our climate warm excessively is excess carbon that's being released. So fins prevent or store that carbon, and that carbon has been stored for thousands of years. We can dig down into fins, and we can find, say, 20, 30, 40 centimeters down, we can find and distinguish leaves and twigs and plant material. We can identify that plant material to species, and that plant material has been there for up to 10,000 years, and we can find that in the Homestake Valley. Right, and uh, what's so important here is something that's been with us that long that helps us, especially in uh, the climate change we're experiencing, should take precedent, I would think, over diverting water somewhere else because it's sort of survival versus uh, uh, short-term gains. Well, and they so <clears throat> fin wetlands not only store carbon, but if, if for those folks that are gardeners— when they work out in their garden, if you want to increase the water holding capacity of your soil, one of the things that a gardener does is go to the store, the garden store, and they buy uh, peat. Well, right. that's exactly what that is. That's, that's peat from things like fens, and they mix it into their soil because it stores water. So fens are also huge water storage devices. Right. And later in the season, so we have the Homestake Stream flowing through the Homestake Valley. And come around, everybody knows if you live in the arid west, come August, September, stream flows are greatly diminished. Where is that water in those streams coming from? Well, it's coming from the soils. It's being slowly squeezed out of the soils and into the streams. And if you have a good water storage soil capacity like fins, it's like a huge sponge. That water is slowly being squeezed out of the fin, moves into the streams, and so we have stream flow year-round. And so critters like fish and the macroinvertebrates that fish eat all depend on those year-round seasonal stream flows. And we have fins in our valley here. When I was an interim ranger up at uh, Aspen, I... uh, uh, went with Tom Cardamone up to see a fin and how he was trying to help restore that fin. Because once, once they're, they're depleted like that, it's, you can't just say, okay, we're going to restore it in a year or two. I mean, it, it took a thousand years for it to form. Well, the fins that you're talking about are marvelous uh, up at Warren Lakes exactly, right. above Aspen. One of those fins was dredged out. They, they mine fins for their peat, and they sell that. Uh, another example is up on the Grand Mesa. A lot of those fens have been mined out for the peat. Fens are irreplaceable, and the Forest Service has a policy um, that no fens should be lost because they are irreplaceable. So peat accumulates at about the rate of, say, depending on the, the location, two to five centimeters per thousand years. A fin has to have an accumulation of 40 centimeters of peat before it's considered a fin. That means that our youngest fins are several thousand years old. 
That's pretty amazing if you think about it, isn't it? It's astonishing. So up at Warren Lakes, um, what Tom and company, you and other folks, uh, did was they – to, to, to what they did up at Warren Lakes was they dredged the peat and then they created a ditch and they drained the water out of it. And so to try to begin the restoration, which will take thousands of years, right? Um, they dammed up that, that, that place that they took out and they're letting the water recover and restore and start to build peat up. But again, that accumulation of peat will take thousands of years. You're listening to KDNK's Public Affairs Program for Land's Sake, and if you're not a member, I'd like to encourage you to do so because uh, we present a lot of programs like this on KDNK Public Affairs. And all you have to do is pick up the phone, take your cell phone, and dial 963-0139 or go to kdnk.org and click on Membership Drive. Once again, Dee, back to uh, Fins and Wetlands. In Colorado, how many fins do, do you think we have? I mean, there aren't any kind of estimate at all? Well, in the West, in wetlands in general, um, one and a half to two percent of our landscape are wetlands, all kinds of wetlands. And maybe one percent of that one to two percent are fins. Typically, we find fins at high elevation. Uh, they require uh, abundant water, so snowmelt is what maintains our fins because the snowmelt, cold water, is what inhibits the decomposition of the leaves and the twigs. So we need a lot of water, and that water needs to be cold in order to prevent bacterial uh, and organic uh, oxidation and decomposition. So I, I think you could probably use the word rare then, I guess, wouldn't you? And Absolutely. So, so they are very rare and, and, and delicate parts of the ecosystem. Part of this um, desire to bring more water to the front range is, is also happening in other places. I know at one time Camp Hale was uh, mm-hmm. possibly going to be um, a, a storage area, and it, yet it's now a national monument, so and a National Register site as well. And that whole valley there there in the Eagle River Valley and Upper Valley doesn't have that many fins, does it? I mean, a few head, headwater streams and that you know of. And you, you're going to be doing surveys, I understand, too, we'll talk about later, uh, where citizens can help science. Yes, and that's going to be really fun, really exciting. So I hope all of your listeners come and join us. Um, Actually, that Homestake Valley, there's there's no fin at the level at the lower level of the homestake or the homestake or the Homestake Valley, not the Homestake Valley. There are fins, right? But down by Camp Hale, there are not. That's been dramatically altered uh, For sure. when it was converted to Camp Hale. But I will say that there are numerous fins in the Alpine tundra above. Camp Hale up on Chicago Ridge and up on Tennessee Pass. And again, all of that water that's stored in those fins is what maintains the stream flows in the Eagle River and in the Homestake Creek and in those, those lower elevation streams. So we have this intimate connection between what's going on in these fins and what's happening in our streams below. 
what besides conservation of of the water in the front range can be done to really show that this isn't sustainable uh, what what they're proposing is, is just not sustainable in the long run is that is that possible how do you show that and when when legalities enter in here and agreements that have been done years and years ago um they it seems that that these folks have what they consider a right to proceed with this project? Well, apparently they may have a legal right, uh, but that right is not absolute. Right. I think that it's, it's, it's a tough question, Bill, but I think if we look at the ecology of this, the entire system, looking at Colorado as a, as a whole instead of them versus us, Right. I think then we can start to come to some answers that maintain the the ecological processes. Now that's kind of geek speak for all of the all of the functions of our natural world that help humans survive. Exactly, survival is what we're talking about here. We are, and it's a very short-term gain to ship water over to the front range for long-term devastation to the West Slope, which provides, you know, as, as silly or maybe trite as it sounds, it's hugely important, all of the gorgeous land that's all around us where we're sitting here in Carbondale supplies the water, supplies the air, supplies the nutrient cycles that maintain the farms and ranches that they all depend on. So we really are connected. And we're talking about a, an over-allocated river like the Colorado. People are thinking, well, with all the snow we've had this year, things are going to be okay. But they're not over the long term. They're not even in the short term. Um, you know, today I went out, gee, last, a couple days ago I was wearing my heavy uh, down jacket. <laughs> For sure. And today, um, you know, just a, just a T-shirt. Um, the melt is happening really rapidly. It's flowing off rapidly. And a really important thing that wetlands do, instead of all that water running down the Colorado River and then being you know, shunted off to Arizona and California and so on, wetlands store that water. That's what Homestate right. Creek does with this rapid melt-off. Wetlands become even more important so that you don't have those, those flooding flows in the spring and those dry stream beds in the fall. Right, and it, it's the, the snow melt has been occurring more f- earlier than normal over the last few years. Statistics have brought this out. And then we have things like a dust storm that came a while back and deposits all that dark soil on the snow, and then it even melts even faster. So we're looking at changes in the whole environment that wetlands become even more important, don't they? Absolutely. Wetlands can help make our landscape more resilient to the changes that we're seeing in our climate. And that resilience is what is going to enable us to survive. Resilience, I like that word. It's, uh, maybe it's overused, but I don't know another word that sort of puts it out there like resilience does. Adaptability in humans is important, but we have to adapt to the reality of what's happening in the world to try to take care of the future if we really care. I think that's exactly right. And I think one of the 
factors that we have to recognize and appreciate and be a little humble about the idea that we really depend on natural processes, natural ecosystems for our own survival. And so resilience just means, in an ecological sense, the ability for the system, a wetland for instance, to bounce back from some sort of catastrophe, like a flood or a drought. And if that system is intact, if the plants are there, the animals are there, the soils are there, if all of those factors are intact and integrated, that system, a wetland system, an upland system, a forested system, they can bounce back. They can still produce and process all of the factors that we need as humans to survive. And that's a, that's a, a lot, really. I mean, we need a lot. It's, the water is, is basically life, and that's what we're talking about here. And I don't I know that a lot of folks that live in Colorado realize that we really are in a desert climate. Right. Yeah, you're correct. Most people don't understand that. Uh, high desert is a term we, we often use when we go over to Utah and, and play and have fun and recreate. But, yeah, we this is a dry, arid environment. I, um, I mean, you can tell sometimes when you get just get thirsty when you're just outside and the, the humidity is very low. And uh, I like that. I don't like wet climates. But. Well, no, me either. <laughs> no, thank you, Louisiana. Um, but, you know, I think the good, the good note... The important note is that we can come out of this okay, but we need to pay attention to maintain those systems that are still intact. We're kind of at a tipping point, in my view. Okay. We haven't tipped over the edge yet, and we can keep ourselves on the good side of that tipping point by maintaining our natural ecosystems our wetlands, and our forested landscapes that absorb all that carbon, that store all that moisture, so that we can get through this excessive warming. And i got to say, you know, just as a plug for birds, we've lost a huge number of birds over the last 30 years. Bird populations are in dramatic decline. Places like wetlands support tremendous bird abundance and bird diversity. And maintaining those wetlands are so important to helping birds survive this, this crisis. And people like to, like to have a call to action. So what the listing may think about, what can I do about this? And what can people here in the Valley do about the homestake situation and about wetlands in general? But there's specific things they could help with this summer, aren't there? Well, there are. Thank you for bringing that up, Bill. Um, so Wilderness Workshop is hosting what we call a bio-blitz. A bio-blitz is uh, a bunch of ologists, uh, ornithologists, entomologists, botanists, and so on and so forth, and citizen science scientists going to a site and identifying every possible living thing that we can. And why do we do that? Well, we think that when we can understand what's there, 
we will value it more, and we will want to protect it. So the idea is to go to Homestake Valley on July the 8th. Okay, July 8th. Yeah, July 8th, everybody getting together. You can contact. The easiest thing to do is contact Wilderness Workshop right. and ask them about the BioBlitz uh, at Homestake on July 8th. Everybody gets out, and we pair you up with whatever you're, you know, you want to be paired up with. If you want to look at birds, you can do that for a while. You can look at insects for a while. We can look at plants for a while. Uh, and we'll go out into the Homestake wetlands, and we will document all of the incredible wildlife and plants that are there. So that's a good chance to get involved right there, be in it's good shape and do something outdoors. Absolutely. <clears throat> Thank you very much, Dee, for being with us today. It's uh, it's always a pleasure to have you, and I really uh, want to emphasize again that if uh, you want to hear this show next uh, month, do so um, on, uh, I think it's May the 8th at 4 o'clock. And whatever you do to Mother Earth, do it for land's sake. And also, don't forget, it's the membership drive. Join, if you haven't already, KDNK, 963-0139. Until next time, take care.